0: So I think that's pretty interesting. Uh, Both the book of Luke, which is also the same way, Luke did not eyewitness those things that happened in the book of Luke, Uh, and the book of Acts, at the very beginning he indicates that he's writing it to someone named Theophilus. Uh, There's a lot of speculation about who that is. I'm not really sure. It could have been a person. It may have been the name of uh, just someone that he used to kind of indicate he was writing this to everyone. There's different theories on that. But uh, so the book of Luke and the book of Acts are both written uh, to someone uh, named Theophilus. So the book of Acts, uh, there's not an exact date but was probably written somewhere around 90 a.d now keep in mind a.d starts when christ was born so when christ was crucified that was approximately 32 or 33 a.d and so this would have been written approximately 60 years after christ was crucified now the time when this Chapter here in chapter 15 actually takes place, uh, this council in Jerusalem, is probably around 50 AD, so 15 to 20 years after the crucifixion. And so I think all of that is just kind of interesting to kind of set the backdrop uh, for what's happening here. So uh, at the time that So I guess just before chapter 15, or to kind of lead you into what's going on, Paul and Barnabas are in what we now call Syria. They were in a place called Antioch then, uh, which is north of uh, Israel and north of Jerusalem. But they were there, and they were preaching uh, to the Gentiles. And there were a lot of Gentiles that were being saved and, and being converted, and they were having a really just a good revival spiritual time and uh, like all things and we have we experience that now boy we're having revival some of the worst weeks that i ever have at work or in my personal life or you know outside of the church are weeks that revival is going on seems like the devil will raise up if something good is happening if we're having people saved if i feel like i'm you know getting in a service good a revival service good. the devil isn't happy with that and he'll really fight you when that's going on. And I look at that as exactly what happened to Paul and Barnabas here and there's a this lesson is a great way to handle a dispute when you've got a difference or a dispute within the church or within you know your Christian community or your friends. This is a great way to handle it. So we'll start here with uh, verse 1 and kind of work our way into this. So again, Paul and Barnabas are here, and they've been preaching. People have been getting saved, and this is what happened. And certain men which came down from Judea. Now, I want to make this point. Judea was actually on a map below where Antioch is, but it was higher in elevation, all right. it, was in, it was so when you were in the mountains, when you were in Judea and you would come down to this was a lower elevation. So the term down, that's what it means here. They came down in elevation. So these men came. They taught the brethren and said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. All right. So we've been going through and we've been in Galatians for two or three weeks. We've been in Romans uh, a few weeks Paul's writing and those things, uh, and I think Galatians was, was the first, I know it was the first book that Paul wrote, but in some of the things that he writes in Galatians about the law, that was maybe just before this council that took place here. I think Galatians was written in about 48 A.D. And this council's taken place in approximately 50 A.D. But certainly this issue was a big issue in the early church. All right. We've got Jews and especially the Pharisees that have, but the, the entire Jewish nation who had lived by, from the time they were born and their parents lived by it and their grandparents lived by it, lived by the Levitical law and the law set out in Deuteronomy and they had followed that. They had made those sacrifices. They had observed those feasts. They, had, they hadn't eaten uh, pork. They hadn't eaten clams and oysters. Uh, they had sought And gone after trying their best to follow that. So now Christ has come and is crucified and he's resurrected and he has fulfilled that law. And so now we've got people that are here that are saying, okay, and and even here it says that, that these men believed. These are people that are converted. They believe that Christ is the Messiah. They're saved. But they're still looking back and holding on, a lot of them, to that law that they had lived by because that's the way they were taught, that's the way they were raised. And you can think about it, it would be pretty easy to do that. So, and I guess an example that I was thinking about, I mean, there are people that, even maybe some that go to this church, that I believe some things differently than they do doctrinally. And there I certainly have friends that attend Churches that are other denominations that have doctrinal differences from me. They maybe believe the end of time differently than I do. Okay? But I have confidence that they are good saved people. We disagree on on maybe more than one, but we disagree on some points. But that doesn't mean that they're not saved people. In the areas that we can work together on. And focus on we should now we may never and i've got one dear friend that i went to college with he believes the end of time completely differently than i believe it and he and i sat there in college our freshman year and we went through how he believed it and how i believed it and we went through the scriptures and We didn't argue about it. You're really never going to make any headway if you're arguing with somebody, you know. We just talked through it. I tried to understand his way of seeing it. He tried to understand mine. We came to the conclusion that I was never going to change his mind and he was never going to change my mind. And so we just kind of set that to the side. And we had friends that weren't saved and we had friends and family that weren't living like they should. So we agreed... Let's focus on those things, and we'll pray together over those things and try to win these people that we know aren't saved because whether his way of the end of time is right or my way or there's probably four or five other you know, ways that people see it are right, if we can focus on the salvation of our people, That's a lot more important than having a dispute over something that when it finally does come about, either he's going to be right or I'm going to be right or maybe we're both wrong and it won't be something that either one of us will ever focus on again because we'll, you know, we'll be in heaven at that point. So here we've got people, you know, Paul and Barnabas out here preaching to the Gentiles and telling them you can be saved and a lot of them are being saved and here comes this group that says well they're teaching you wrong and in order for you really to be saved you've all got to be circumcised. Well of course the Gentiles were saying nope we're not you know we have no interest in that is that really right? So they're looking back to Paul and Barnabas and saying what's going on here? Is this right? So you can understand I think by thinking about this the the problems that it created within the church and the services that they were having here. It becomes a big focal uh, point of dissension pretty quick. Okay, so here let me read the rest of verse 1. Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. So they weren't even saying you you can't take part in church or you're out of fellowship. They were saying you're not even saved if, if you don't do this. And so you can understand the problem. They're trying to, and we've got folks that believe that now, you've got to live and and keep yourself every day unspotted, even if you've been to the altar and been saved. If you make a mistake, you'll lose your salvation. That's bad doctrine. I know some people that I believe are saved. I've witnessed with them that have got that in their head and believe that. And they live under that what I'll call bondage of that doctrine every day. Uh, I talked to one person once, and they said, every night when I go to sleep, I I pray, Lord, if there's something I've done, or if I, you know, and it's good to pray at night, but they're praying for the God to make sure that their soul's okay before they go to sleep because they don't want to die and have said a, had a bad thought or said a bad word or you know they don't want to die in that condition. That's just bad doctrine. And it, it's not freedom. Salvation will make you free. That doctrine, that isn't freedom. Think about that. It's bondage. They're, they're under the yoke of that. So, you know, here we've got people with using circumcision saying the same thing. If you're no matter what you've done, if you've turned your life over to Christ and you're following him and trying to serve him and doing good, if you're not circumcised, you're wrong. You, you know, you're not you don't have salvation. So they're trying to create an obligation of something that we have to do other than just put our trust in the Lord. And that's really where it's at, is putting your trust in the Lord. Verse 2. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, so they said, "Hey, you guys, what are you guys doing? You're wrong. That ain't right." And they had an art. They had a disagreement. All right. I don't know if it, you know, it, it said it wasn't small, but they had a big disagreement. If you read some of the other places where Paul disagreed with somebody, he was pretty straightforward. He didn't say, "Hey, I think maybe we see that different." You know. I mean. He'd just say, "Hey, you're wrong." Um, so they have this disagreement. They determined, and I think the "they" was was all of them kind of together. I think they sat down and said, "We disagree on this. How can we resolve this? Because this is not good for us to have these two, you know, uh, different approaches doctrinally to this." they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. All right? So here you see this this council that's getting ready to happen. You see who it's going to be. It's the apostles. Now, apostles, now Paul is referred to oftentimes as Apostle Paul. Um, But the apostles really by definition were the the original 12, now we know that you know, Judas was no longer part of that, so they replaced Judas. But there were 12 that they referred to as the apostles. They were the ones that were handpicked by Christ, that followed him and took part in his ministry while he was here and alive. Those are apostles. A disciple is anybody that follows Christ. I mean, if we are saved and we're trying to follow Christ, we're disciples. Okay, so any as the church grew, other people were, were apostles, and then the other term that it uses here is elders, which would have been people that were saved and were in the church there in Jerusalem and trying to, you know, follow what God wanted and trying, you know, believed in Jesus. So they've got these two groups of people, and they say, Let's go back to Jerusalem. By the way, it's about 300 miles or two weeks worth of walking from Antioch to Jerusalem. Let's go back to Jerusalem. Let's all go and let's present this and let's try to get a consensus on this the way this is supposed to be. All right. Does anybody have any comments here before we go on? All right. Verse 3. And being being brought on their way by the church... They passed through Phineas and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, uh, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. So they're walking back. They got a couple weeks worth of walking, and they stopped by Phineas and Samaria where they knew there were some people there that were saved, and they told them the good news. Man, we've been having revival in Antioch, and people have been getting saved, and man, it's a wonderful time. You know, you think about that. Now, as soon as we get out of church, we look on Facebook and we see, well, down at you know Samaria, down in St. Mary's, Jordan, had a couple got saved down there this morning. Well, man, that's great news, you know. Or maybe up at Wallbridge or wherever it is. But when you hear good news like that it, about other places that are having church and worshiping God, it makes you happy. Does me? I'm I'm happy for that. Uh, it's good report. So they're doing. You know, back then they didn't have smartphones, uh, so they're walking, and as they get there, they're telling them, and they're having, uh, you know, a good, a good time in the Lord, they're, they're happy, and when they were come to Jerusalem, so again, it's approximately two weeks worth of walking, now, I don't know if they stopped and stayed a day at any of those churches, they may have, or they may have just got there in the evening and told them and went on, doesn't say, they came to Jerusalem, they were received of the church. So there's there's really three entities here that I think are important for us to talk about. They were received of the church. So I think this is the first meeting they have here is a public gathering. I think they're actually having a church service, okay? And the folks that have been worshiping at the church are there. And of the apostles, now, the apostles that are there, I believe it's all 12 of them, they may not have all been Going to church right there in Jerusalem at that church. Some of them had gone other places. But I believe at least all of them that were there came and were part of this. And I believe probably all 12 of them were. But it's possible some of them weren't necessarily what we would term member of the church in Jerusalem. They may have been at other church bodies in other places preaching and, and trying to establish other churches. And the elders... All right. So there's really three groups. We've got the church body, we've got the apostles, and we've got the elders. And they declared all things that God had done with them. So when they get there, they have a church service, and they tell about this great time that they've been having in Antioch and how people have been getting saved and all of the, and the Gentiles are being born again and they're believing in Jesus and what a great experience it's been. Uh, and they're given this report. So that's the church service, okay? But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed. So I believe these folks were saved people. That's my interpretation on this. They had they had believed in the Lord, but they had some bad doctrine. All right? Saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So they're okay with the Gentiles being saved as long as they'll try to fulfill that original law that that they've been living by all that time. And so at this point, this dispute is kind of brought back to the forefront, the reason that they're there. I think they then move to a private gathering is the way it looks like to me. So let's go here. Verse 6. And the apostles and the elders came together for to consider of this matter. So I don't think they were in a public church service anymore. I think they said, well, we've got this matter. Let's, Let's have a private council, all right, if you'll have it. So they do. The apostles and the elders... Paul and Barnabas and the other men that came with them. Now there could have been some more of the Pharisees that were there that believed the same way. It doesn't say those could have been the same ones that had been in Antioch that were teaching the wrong doctrine. I'm sure those fellows were there but there could have been a few more. It's just not real clear. But they have, they really form a council to hear and offer their opinion. Carl and I were talking about it. He said he can remember twice where the other churches have reached out to the men of this church and said, Will you, we've got something going on. Will you come and talk to us about it and offer us your opinion about this this matter that we've got going on? And I told him, and it may be one of the same, but we didn't get enough time to talk through all of them. I remember one as a young boy where that happened, another church. Sent a group of their men and met with with a group of the men from this church when I was just a boy and discussed some doctrinal things that had come up that were a little bit, you know, had different people in their church that kind of saw them different. Just wanted some guidance on how do we go with that. Uh, If you think about it, every time we get a request to come and do an ordination or take part in an ordination, that's forming of a council. It's similar to this. That council gives their opinion on should the church ordain that deacon or that preacher. Uh, So that same principle that they did here is still available to us if we need it. It's not a real common thing. This is the only one. Now, there may have been other ones. This is the only one where there was actually a council brought together like this that I read about. Uh, If there were other ones, I'm just not familiar with them. There could be. Uh, but So it wasn't a super common event at this time, but it was a tool that they used to address this difference. In our Baptist Church Manual, if you go to the very back of this, this is the Pendleton's Manual, or the Baptist Church Manual, which our church has adopted and we use as a reference. Uh, the very last chapter in the Baptist Church Manual talks about forming councils, just like we're discussing and it also talks about associations amongst churches. Our church is a member of an association. Unlike some denominations, that association doesn't send us directives and tell us, hey, you've got to have this person be your pastor, and you've got to call this person for your re- you know, spring revival, and, and it, it works backwards to that. This association that we have is a fellowship. It's a group of churches that are all like-minded and believe similarly, and we get together in fellowship, and we rely on them, and they rely on us. We you know, can help each other, uh, and I've been helped by a lot of the churches in the association, and I think our church has helped them. Sometimes financially, if one of those churches has been in a difficult spot, our churches would reach out and give them some money or take up an offering for them. So these councils, like is discussed here, are still going on in some form today. Uh, And Carl mentioned, and I think it's a great point, uh, I think there are times where these councils could be helpful to other churches, but people just don't sometimes ask. And for whatever the reason that they don't ask, maybe they don't Maybe they, you know, they're too prideful or they don't want somebody else's opinion or you know, they think they've got it figured out and that's okay. But there are times where having someone who to listen and hear the differences is, that's not right involved in it and doesn't have you know, family on this side and family on that side is a good thing. Uh, when we get mediators in court For court proceedings, we want somebody who hasn't been involved on either side and somebody that, you know, doesn't have a vested interest in the outcome because that's the way that you're most likely to get, you know, a fair, reasonable result. So any comments on that before we move on into this last part of the lesson? So verse 6, And the apostles and elders came together... For to consider of this matter, and when there had been much disputing, Peter. Now it's interesting here that that Peter is the person that stands up here and talks. Uh, certainly, Peter of the twelve apostles was the was the leader among that group. I mean, he was the fella that uh, I think carried the most influence among them. He's the, the person who, you know, he messed up. He made some mistakes. He he turned his back on the Lord, uh, denied him, uh, made some errors, acted rashly. Uh, you know, boy, that sounds a lot like me. I've, I've messed up and I've, you know, made mistakes and said things later that I wish I could take back, uh, you know, done things. I thought, boy, I wish I hadn't done that. Uh, you know, that is a dis- good description of Peter. But in spite of all that, Peter had... A great ability of leadership uh, and and did a lot of that and he preached on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 souls were added to the church and so uh, certainly he is the person that you would expect uh, would carry a lot of weight at this council and, and I think he did He rose up and said among them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost even as he did unto us. And so Peter's saying here, we have seen firsthand that Gentiles can be saved. And we know some that are spirit-filled people that have been saved, and we, we know about them, we've talked about them, we've, we, you know, so this is something that we need to really pay close attention to here. And so he goes on. He says, God has given them the Holy Ghost even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. We're saying, these folks are getting saved the exact same way that we're getting saved. We couldn't satisfy this law. We could never live good enough. Peter knew that. Couldn't live good enough to satisfy the law to earn salvation. The only way that they got it was through believing in the Lord had to put their trust in Jesus. That's the only way they got it. And as apostles and the church and the disciples there that were Jews, as they did that, they got the Holy Ghost the same way that I got the Holy Ghost when I got saved. The Lord healed them, cleaned them up, and and gave that to them. And I can't live good enough to earn it, and Peter couldn't live good enough to earn it, and that's what he's telling the council here. There's... There's no way we can live good enough to do this. I love this, verse 10. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? So that's what he's saying. He's saying, I couldn't live good enough to get this, and our fathers couldn't live good enough to get this, and you can't live good enough to get this. The only way we can get this is is salvation by grace through faith so why are we now trying we've got this and the Lord's blessed us now we've got this other group out here and they're starting to believe and get saved why are we going to put up a hurdle for them that none of us could jump over this didn't make any sense it was just bad doctrine I mean back to the get saved and lose your salvation, and there's, there's other things, but, I mean, that's just a good example. I mean, that's just bad doctrine. People, I feel bad for people that believe that because it is putting a hurdle there that they don't have to live with. They can be, They can be free if they would just accept it. Verse 11. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord... Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. So great speech here by Peter. I mean, stands and says this, and it really sets the tone for this council, and they move on and decide that nope, you don't have to do this. Now that's the end of, of the lesson. I want to go down and get a verse verse 20 here in Acts but uh, Peter sets the tone here with this, and I think it's exactly right. And so the council decides that they want to do two things. They, they, they decide what their position is going to be, and we'll go over that here in a minute. But then they decide, let's write a letter, and we're going to send it back with people to these areas where that this is problematic, and we're also going to send some some people on foot to go with them. So we'll have both written explanation and we'll have verbal explanation to tell people, the Gentiles, nope, you don't have to be circumcised to be saved. You don't have to, this is a hurdle that is a hurdle you don't have to worry about. Uh, It's pretty interesting to me what they do tell them. So down here in verse 20, but that we write unto them, that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. So they basically told them four things that they wanted them to do. Uh, The pollution of idols, they they would put a sacrifice to idols of strange gods, and some of these people would then come along and take the sacrifice off of there, and they would eat that. And that was very problematic to the people that were making the sacrifices to these strange gods. It created a a rift between them. Uh, And some of these folks may have, at some point, engaged in that. And so if they were still engaging in things that they had done honoring false gods like they had done before they were saved, that wasn't a good testimony for them. Uh, Certainly fornication, you know, any... uh, sexual activity that was improper, they're saying don't do that. Uh, Things that are strangled were any animal that was killed that wasn't butchered in the correct way. So if an animal died of its own or if it died in some way, and that really came from the law. So it's interesting that even here, the things that are strangled and then of blood, they wanted to drain the blood, they would butcher these animals in such a way that the blood would all drain out of them and then they would consider them clean to eat. Even there, those two things are from the law, but they didn't feel that it was a big enough of a hurdle that it would create a problem for the Gentiles to honor these things, and they just felt like that was kind of where the, the line needed to be drawn. So, you know, interesting. I mean, in today, uh, you know, we don't have people that are taking meat from sacrifices that have been made to strange gods, and if somebody, you know, ate some meat that was from an animal that wasn't slaughtered exactly like they had described it under the law. I don't think anybody would get upset about that. But here that was still something that was going to create a, an offense and they knew it. And so they they created a compromise and that was their recommendation. The council uh, came to that decision and they sent that out by letter and by uh, some of their uh, the members of the council to disseminate that decision to people, and they, you know, Paul and Barnabas, they went two different ways shortly after this, but they went back over into that country, and and other disciples and apostles did as well, and preached, and the church grew, Uh, and this this council, and the way they handled this, headed off what could have been a big explosion to split the church and create a a big problem, and that was a, a... that was their concern. They didn't want to do that. So, uh, What comments or questions do you have? About the things that they told them not to do after, after that happened. And, and uh, all except for the fornication, the rest of that stuff, uh, besides being an outward show to, something that died laying in a ditch and you go ahead and eat on it you don't know how long that's been laying there so it may have been you know besides being an outward showing it may have been a health issue could have been certainly could have been anybody else well thank you for your yeah Required from a religious right. standpoint, yeah. from a salvation standpoint with God, that's it's not a requirement. All right, thank you for your attention and your prayers. You're dismissed.